I've said this when I was a single person painter that I book out two summers in advance. And that's a point of pride. Somebody who's trained in economics once told me, boy, that sounds horrible. It sounds like you're giving stuff away and people are buying a lot of it. And, and I was like, well, you know, I'm the highest priced. I'm the best around. People will wait for me. They're like, how do you know that? And it's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm in the corner. I don't know that. You're listening to Estimate Rocket Radio, the hassle-free online software for service contractors that keep your business running from lead to pay. We want your business to grow, so we make it easy to get your job done. Hey, everyone. It is a great day here at Estimate Rocket Radio, and we want to give you all a very warm welcome. My name is Kathleen. I am the Director of Sales here at Estimate Rocket, and I am joined by my very dynamic co-host, Chris Shank, who is the leader of education and engagement here at Estimate Rocket. Hey, Chris, how are you today? Hey, I am doing great, excited, and have my brain turned on for this conversation. we got to stay sharp. You better have your brain turned on for this <laughs> because we not only have one great rock star on this podcast, but we have two joining us in the Estimate Rocket Radio studios. First, we have Nick Slavic, who most of you probably already know his name and listen to him live on Facebook weekly. Nick is the owner of Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration. They're actually celebrating 15 years in business this year. Nick is also the host of Ask a Painter Live, which is a weekly live show on Facebook. We also have with us today, Tom Drost. He is Estimate Rocket CEO and Chief Software Architect here at Estimate Rocket. We always love talking with Nick Slavic. Nick knows his business from the inside out. He's built his business. He's built the tools his business uses. When he talks about something, you know that he's experienced it personally to the deepest level and he knows results. I personally love hearing this topic of work scheduling and backlog being kicked around by two intellectual giants like Nick Slavic and Tom Drost. Tom always hops off these calls saying, oh, I just love talking to that guy. Well, I hope you love hearing it. You'll get different perspectives, but one thing they do agree on is you do have to have your work scheduled and your team growth in balance. Out of balance, you're in some difficult waters. In balance, you experience true direction for your company and power to get there fast. So hi, Nick. How are you? Welcome to Estimate Rocket Radio. Always good. And as usual, I'll thank you for this opportunity because anytime I get a chance to talk to you guys, it's always awesome. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind. And Tom, it's an honor to be having you here, our CEO and software architect of Estimate Rocket. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. And the honor is mine. I, uh, I always enjoy this and, and love talking with Nick as well. Well, we got the big guns today. Uh, we couldn't have a conversation with either of you guys without the other one. Uh, that's the way we feel about it sometimes. We're talking about some topics that uh, really need some expertise. And I know Tom comes from the accountant background, also a business owner, has grown up Estimate Rocket. Nick knows company growth and, and business coaching in the painting industry and now a little bit beyond too. So you guys are the perfect people to be together uh, to kind of tag team on this topic of backlog. And, the, and we're hoping for different perspectives. So don't you don't have to agree on everything. So if I can encourage you to disagree on the things that you <laughs> feel like you must to debate a little bit, because that's where 
some of the sparks and the fun comes. Um, but we are excited about your different perspectives and your intellectual approach at this. So let me just kind of get it started here. I know we're excited about the Ask a Painter coming up and you guys will get into it a little bit more there too. And people can then jump in with their own questions and thoughts, but let's get it started here. So let me ask you, Nick, this way. Is backlog a key to hiring and growth? If so, why? If not, why not? And we'll hear from Tom. So, man, uh, I have so many thoughts and feelings on this. It is, but not in the way that most people think about it. Okay, that sounds like a good setup. Let's let's go go right into it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what's really interesting is that um, smaller companies, and I was one of those as well too. I've I've operated as a single person sole proprietor longer than I have being a large professionalized business. And uh, most people who are the single owner operator pride themselves in a monstrous backlog, a monstrous backlog, sometimes years. And businesses that are larger like mine pride themselves in the smallest possible backlog uh, that they can. It's really, it's, it's an interesting sort of dichotomy. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Let's hear what you have to say, Tom. Yeah, I, I actually, I love that explanation. And, and as I backlog is, you know, everybody probably knows is one of my big uh, hot buttons uh, because I think it's an important, it's a really important concept, but you, you're bringing out the nuances in it, Nick, that I think are really important. And I know when I was growing my first company, uh, I always thought of backlog as my basis for easy hiring because I knew, mm -hmm. Hey, I got this much work queued up. Great. Now I can hire somebody. So I was using it as a tool for growth, not as a, hey, let's see how long I can you know, push people off. But uh, hey, work's booked, great, hire another person. Work's booked, hire another person. But I get that as you grow, you end up with a different planning process because you, A, you can afford it as you grow and, you, and you're you know, profitable and you're able to put that you know, profit back into your business. And so it gives you that opportunity then to go about the whole backlog concept differently because you don't want to put people off indefinitely. Obviously, that's not good for business. But in the early stages, it can really help you to get over some of those early growth hurdles. You know, I think what I'm hearing here too is approach to backlog is very important. Mm -hmm. um, and there could be different approaches to it. And so we're, we'll get into some of the nuances like you said about it. And, and you know, uh, quickly too, I'm, I'm reminded that you know, in boxing, you have Southpaw, a completely different way of going about it. And it's not everybody's favorite. Matter of fact, some would say positively that you should have this certain stance given your certain inclinations or proclivities. Like, depends on what kind of boxer you are. Um, you know, so do you do the reverse stance? Are you going straight at it like the right-handed way? It's going to, it's going to depend. So I think it's going to be interesting to hear um, you guys talk more about this. So Nick, what do you think prevents some contractors anyway from building up a backlog? It's it's interesting. When that does occur, when they when they don't have a backlog, it's because they haven't laid a foundation of marketing and sales. Okay. And um, smaller businesses, you know, will will generally have a lot of friends, family, word of mouth, referral, repeat customers, things like that. Uh, those are our favorite jobs because it already comes with a base of trust. But it is almost a hundred percent not predictable. Like you can guarantee it. It's a constant in my company. It's a certain percentage every quarter, but I, it takes so long to build that up that mm -hmm. you can't, you can't pull over and make that kind of business occur next week. So when smaller businesses 
uh, cannot create a backlog, it's likely because they're not out there actively and intentionally putting effort towards finding those jobs. They're waiting for that organic word of mouth repeat and referral to come to them. Mm. And I think actively and intentionally, those are two key pieces to that whole backlog and the, in the whole um, growth system for business. Tom, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with what Nick's saying. In, and I also think it's kind of, it's a mindset thing at different stages of your business. So getting in that mindset of knowing if you, if you want to grow at some point, you have to have more, at least the potential for more business than you can handle yourself. I mean, that's kind of like a fundamental thing, right? I mean, yes, you could raise your prices continually. That'll work. But if you ultimately want to grow so that you have a company that's bigger than you and, and can survive you and, and leave legacy, then you have to grow. And to grow, you need more than you can do yourself. Need more work. Yeah. Tom Reber, we had a podcast with him recently. Tom, you were on that. And he had asked the question and you guys got to kicking this around and kind of exploring both sides of the topic, which is, do you grow your work or your team first? You know, obviously you have to grow both, but which one do you push first? So Tom, I'll start this one with you and ask uh, how you answered that. And then Nick, I'd love to hear, Tom Reaper would yeah. love to hear that his question is living on here through all the podcasts. <laughs> but let's, let's yeah. hear what you have to say about that. So, so part of this is probably my, my uh, counting or bean counter background, but I would probably grow the backlog. You know, I would have the potential for the backlog first before I pulled the trigger on finding the team. Now, again, this is where you're at in your business. If you're at the young stage and, and don't, you know, you're hiring your first or your second person, you have a whole different perspective on things than when you have, you already have a crew of five because it's that incremental change when you got one, it's a 50% change in your, in your ca capacity, but also in your cost. When you have five people already and you add one, it's only a 20% increase. So it, it's, not as, it's not as painful you know, the second time. So I would probably grow my backlog first. <laughs> grow in the work, grow in the backlog. Okay, Nick, let's hear what you have to say about that. How would you answer? Grow, which do you grow first? Yeah, uh, data and feelings. I did grow by business first. And then I actually, uh, you, you could almost make the argument that I waited too long to have the team catch up with the workload. Mm. But um, I, I am a sort of person where um, I am happy to wear multiple hats in multiple roles, to assume those roles, understand what they are, make a job description, get KPIs so that when I do hire that person, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. It's like, no, this has been planned. I know exactly what the role takes and we can fill that role. And that's why we've had success with that. But it, it's way easier in my mind to grow the business backlog than it is the people. If you bring, if you grow your team first, there is an immediate need for payroll and training mm -hmm. and resources. Uh, when you when you build your business backlog, your project backlog, those people are all going to be waiting anyway. So that there's a built-in timeline or pause between mm -hmm. when you need to act on it that gives you that bandwidth to grow your team around it. How far <laughs> out is your backlog? Or your schedule horizon, I guess, is a schedule horizon. Phrase okay. Yeah. 
How, how would so you? Here's this is yeah. This is actually something I've been very intentional this year because I wanted to have a huge competitive advantage of actually being able to get to people, uh, mm-hmm. especially those millennials who do not plan ahead like me, and <laughs> like they decide to paint their house and they want a crew on site five days later. I thought, you know what? Give the people what they want. Let's do it. So, mm-hmm. two data points, which are we have, <laughs> we have probably about a two and a half week. Um, lead time on, on a start of a project. But what that two and a half weeks means is about 500 K worth of work. So wow. <laughs> it feels like there's almost no backlog, but we will, we have more in our backlog than most painting companies will produce this year. Wow. Yeah. And that's you good. Have, that's and yet, interesting. Do you have, do you actually have, I, I guess as you grow, you could also have the, the quick hit teams and the long project teams too, where you, depending upon the size of the work and those kinds of things. So you can deliver quickly with a, with a set team. And then obviously they can go work on other projects if that works not there, but it gives you that extra flexibility of being able to handle those, uh, the, the quick wins. Yeah. And, and a short, I mean that, that you could, you know, we're going to be about a $3 million business this year. And so you could call that a pretty razor thin backlog. I mean, most single person painters like to be more than two weeks out and we have, you know, 40 people in our organization. And right now we only have about you know, two to six weeks of work on the books, give or take. So um, it's, it's razor thin, but you have to understand that that's built on a base of, you guys know how much I love data. The data we've been collecting over the years gives you this wisdom and this like inner peace to know that some things are just predictable. Like I know that 40 to 45% of all my work will be word of mouth, repeat, repeat and referral. And it's always there. It's mm-hmm. always there. And I know that based on all the marketing experience I've done, if I spend X amount of dollars, I'll get X many leads that will turn into X amount of estimates that will turn into X amount of jobs. So there's not this like crazy questions of the universe out there for me. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen? It's like, no, we kind of know how to do it. We're just trying to pull the four levers and maintain equilibrium. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like Nick, you, you've done exactly what needs to be done, which is over time, you've honed in your processes, you've honed in your KPIs, you know what you have to measure and how to measure it. And you've also dialed in all of your marketing systems. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to say right now, you're my favorite person on Instagram. And I don't look at Instagram <laughs> a lot, but I look for your posts all the time because, but that's got to be generate, you know, the stuff you do is got to be helping generate that continual flow, which gives you that comfort level and you've seen it over enough time now because you know your numbers and watch them that, hey, I feel good about this. And that's, a, you know, that's, that's key. Well, the, I, I think there, if there's one thing that I've done a little different than a lot of people is that I honestly do almost all the same things that everybody else does. I mean, you guys have heard me say this before. We all buy the same pants. We all buy the same paint, all the same brushes. And Lord knows we even have white Dodge Caravans. I mean, there's, there's no like competitive advantage. <laughs> like the codings and the stuff that we do. So the only competitive advantage I've had is that I did all the same stuff. I just gathered a whole bunch of data and made decisions based on it. So yeah, most painting companies do what I do. They're just still running on feelings only like, Hey, I did flyers last year and that seemed to work. So we're just going to do that again. But how many, what areas, what's on them is then not calculated. So it's still kind of like, okay, I put my finger in the air. It felt okay. And now I'm going to do that again. But it's not a refined system, you know? And you forgot about that building that was just built next door and there's no wind anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Wind's not working yeah. today. <laughs> data, data is uh, 
data is key. And, and I think the whole, you know, entrepreneurial spirit is that you got to take the data and then apply your feelings to them and your experiences. And, and you've done an amazing job at it. Well, and, and so sadly, I will, I will also put a huge asterisk next to that, which is what I do is fairly novel in the trades and especially painting, but this is what real businesses do. I mean, you guys oh. are operating uh, in a world outside of the trades. You have one foot in and one foot in software development, tech, things like that. Like this is kind of a standard practice with most other businesses, most other industries, just basic job costing, uh, data tracking, uh, A-B testing and marketing. It's, it's sort of like the, the entrance fee into running a real business. It's just not that prevalent in painting or the trades. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's too bad because a lot of it is, is, is out there to be learned. And there's a lot of resources out there to learn those things and to, and to learn new ideas. I think that, I think it's, we love, I love to see people growing. My favorite thing. And one of the reasons I main reasons I do this is because I love seeing companies and entrepreneurs be able to take something and grow it and be successful with it. That's just, that is, that, jazzes me. So guys, it sounds like we're going to have a lot of different approaches and perspectives, but really I think the core issue here is, you know, you guys are talking about having a precise data-driven balance between scheduling more work and growing your team. So however it is you get there, however that's balanced out with Nick, it's that razor sharp, that razor thin margin of having two weeks, just a little bit over maybe of, of backlog. Well, how do you get to that place where it's balanced so precisely? Nick, let's start with you. Yeah. So this, we, we take a step out of painting and even the trades and back to economics, which is, you know, let's all think back to high school and college, the law of supply and demand. And mm. if something is underpriced, people will buy a ton of it right? If there's a big fire sale on something, there will be a huge demand and uh, the, the service will be um, oversupply, uh, uh, undersupplied at that point. So um, one of the first things to understand that I've said this when I was a single person painter that I book out two summers in advance, and that's a point of pride. Um, somebody who's trained in economics once told me, boy, that sounds horrible. It sounds like you're giving stuff away and people are buying a lot of it. And, and I was like, well, you know, I'm the highest priced. I'm the best around. People will wait for me. They're like, how do you know that? And it's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm in the corner. I don't know that. I cannot prove to you empirically that I'm the highest priced or that I am the best or that people will wait. It's just all a feeling. So one of the first things we need to realize is like, with this data-driven approach, um, we have to kind of take two steps back to the macro world. And if you're booking that far out uh, and you're selling a lot of jobs, you may be giving your work away. And it, it doesn't matter if you feel like it's overpriced. You may not know that. And your clients may say, well, hey, if he feels it's overpriced, I'll, I'll take three because it's still a way better deal that I can get. So yeah, that's what I found with most of most of the single owner operators in our industry. And we've actually found a way to prove that through job costing, which is we take some of these jobs that people have been doing that they say, I'm the best, I'm the fastest, I'm way overpriced, I'm the most expensive one in my uh, area. When we actually job cost their jobs, we're finding that they're making sometimes even half of what a normal industry production rate is. It's just a feelings-based thing. Data is powerful. It really is. It yep. is. So Tom, what do you think? How do you see a lot of people trying to maintain or get to that balance um, to where they know that they're, they have enough work, they are able to grow their team and grow their work at a steady pace. And, and it's kind of 
yeah the right it, place it, so uh, one of the things i was thinking earlier today actually i was thinking about this a little bit was more i was actually thinking it more in the context of of where you are in your business stage but i wrote down the words hunting versus pruning <laughs> and so in that early stage, right, you're out hunting and hunting and hunting and hunting, trying to get the ne next job. And that's, you know, build up the backlog so you can grow. You have enough, you, Nick, with your data and your management of what you've done and, and understanding of it, you're able to prune. So you can say, you know, I, I'm going to prune my business down. I'm going to change my, my pricing structure because I've got the business coming in. I'm not gouging or ripping anybody off, but this is what the work is worth mm -hmm. and I'm not going to give it away. So you can prune. And the beauty is if you ever had to, you can always back off on that a little. So it's, you know, you've gotten yourself to yeah. a great position. It's, it's really interesting. Um, when the more we look at industry from our data, you know, that it, it's a good question, but the answer is, you know what? It's not even up to you. Like the things we know economically about our industry is that it's a very fragmented industry. It, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere between 90 and 90, 99% are single owner operators, most likely underpriced and most likely underserving their market. So right now, what we can say empirically is that for people who own a house and want to get it painted, there is not enough professional contractors to do the work. So that should tell you no matter what, we should be raising our price right now. The, the demand far outstrips the supply. So you may say, Hey, should I do, should I grow my sales first or my team? And I would say, listen, the, the game board is already set for you. You should be doing both because right now this is a crazy time in, in, in the sort of markets where there is a whole bunch of demand and not enough supply, whether you know it or not. Yeah. It's a good place. And to that's be. the other, that's the other thing about data, Nick, which is really powerful for you is you, you know, you've made that out, you've connected the dots there and, and know that situation. And I know for, I know you're also thinking, and should this economic situation shift, which it, which they do over time, things, you know, ebb and flow, then again, you can adjust because you know, and you'll see it, you'll see it coming because you'll start to feel it in, in your bookings. That's it. And, and, you know, I've, I, I could be accused of oversimplifying and, and dumbing down things quite a bit. Chris Shank knows this from our long history together, but <laughs> basically when I, when I sit back and reason on first principles about my business, there's only really two main problems, which is labor and demand. And yeah. honestly, when, if we were to slip into a recession, um, jobs might be harder to get. And guess what? I got us a very strong marketing machine, but then labor, the last time we were in a recession, harken back to the great recession, uh, there were people with master's degrees looking for painting jobs to feed their family. So there's, there's mm -hmm. opportunities and threats in every economic condition. And to me, the, the teeter totter of how to get jobs, how to get labor, it just kind of goes up and down based on the economic, um, situation. And obviously, yeah dumbed down, oversimplified. But in my world, I either focus on getting jobs or getting labor. Mm. And, and that, I don't call that dumbed down. I call that unsimplified. I call that actionable. And that's yeah, the key. That's right. Oh, I thought you were going to say just dumb. <laughs> yeah, I would say no, that's just dumb. <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. You simplify I, sorry, things I thought, and then I, they're actionable. That's right. I thought Tom was going to say typical painter. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not in any way. <laughs> yeah, that's cool.
fun stuff. So, so Nick, with your data-driven approach, what tools are you using internally to help you with this? Yeah, you guys know that I'm a big fan of my homemade spreadsheet. Uh, yep. As this as business grows, I, I operate like all, on a lot of the things that uh, Estimate Rocket does. I do on my own because I have to see how the machine works. So, uh, and, and it evolves as our business grows. As every year we're somewhere between twenty and forty percent larger than we were the year before. So these things sometimes iterate four times a year as we go through them. So basically, it's that um, sales tracker, you know, where we track all our leads coming in, mm-hmm. uh, we track all our estimates, we track them um, by estimator, success ratio, average job size, we track all the leads, the sources they're coming through, and then in the end. You guys know my favorite thing on earth, job costing. When those when those projects are produced, then we job cost. And then now we have the data coming in, the data after, and then that helps us make decisions. So yeah, we, we just have a series of very dumbed down, simplified spreadsheets that sort of help us out make quick decisions as the business grows. Mm, yeah. Awesome. Uh, like I'm going to, one of these days we're going to talk, Nick, I'm going to, I got some tools that might just help you feed your spreadsheet. I got something for that. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. What's <laughs> uh, really interesting is that the, uh, as we get more professional, uh, we're, we're adding more complexity, but I was always very careful 15 years ago to not add complexity where we didn't need it. Cause Lord knows right. business and humans and the interaction of both are complicated enough. So yeah. we've always, <laughs> we've always never added a thing in this business unless it solved an immediate problem. Yeah. And, I and I, I, even as a tech person, I, I feel the same way, Nick, I, you know, adding administrivia to things is a bad move and you have to be really careful with that. It's, and it's easy to do because a lot of systems aren't geared towards what you're trying to do. And, and when you add them and and I, I wrestle that with tools that we use internally here because you don't want to add something that just is adding a layer of stuff. That's not really going to get you any more useful data than you had before or any more or actionable information. That's it. And I I actually heard a uh, software engineer once tell me that um, he's always uh, careful of spaghetti code, as he called Mm. it, that may be an industry or not, you would know, but it's like something gets so complex when something goes wrong, you can't even find out how to fix it anymore. You have to start over. It's so convoluted and connected and interwoven. So that's what I'm always careful for. (laughs) Yeah, uh, uh, unquestionably. And I know spaghetti code very well. I know know the phrase. (laughs) So Tom, I know what about would you it. say? We don't have any. But- we don't have it. No. <laughs> so what would you say, Tom? Though, um, well, we love that organic approach. You got to know your business from the inside out. You got to know why it works, how it works. Um, so that's awesome. And I remember that about you, and Nick. For, we go way back, and that's from the earliest times. I remember how intimately well you knew the inner workings of your company at whatever size, whatever it was you were doing. You wanted to know what the DNA was. You wanted to know how it clicked in word. So I love that. Um, so Tom, let me ask you though, as people are kind of learning their systems and kind of not wanting to overcomplicate, obviously we created something estimate rocket that does a lot of it, but whether they're using estimate rocket or not, what are some of those things that would help this whole process? You know, you can mention some of the things that estimate rocket does, but what are people looking for to help finely tune that whole workload and team growth? Yeah, Nick, Nick summed it up. Um, access. Well, one part of it is access, easy access to, you know, where your leads are coming, your lead sources and their performance, your 
your closing ratios by your uh, estimators or salespeople uh, and, and easy access to those things. So you can see them and, and things that'll tell you by area where your where, where your business is coming from and average amounts. Um, that's a huge piece. And that's actually a huge piece of what we do. And the other piece is that I, that I've found that one of the most important things is having a repository that everybody can get to that has everything there is to know about a project. And it's easy to follow because all that information, you know, that there's more data to be able to look at a project summary and then drill into the project summary based on a profitability flag or something that you see about it and see all of the details, all the hours that were worked, all of the expenses, all of the, you know, the original proposal, all that stuff in one place. It's just invaluable to keep the con- the conversation going with your team, so you can get the estimator and the and the and the foreign the crew supervisor in the same room and say, "Hey, what happened? Did the, did Mr. Estimator did you blow this? Or Mr. Crew Leader did you blow this? What happened? We you know we have a problem, so let's figure it out and see what we can how we can make this better next time." What do you think, Nick? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. And and having having the data is a much different thing than having accessible, searchable, actionable data as well, too. Uh, you need it to be quick referenced. You need it to be, I mean, my, my team knows that my spreadsheets are the dumbest spreadsheets on earth, but Lord have mercy, are there good colors on those things? You know, you can, <laughs> <laughs> yes! Like, Love it. Dude, I am, I, colors I are very like, important. <laughs> That's right. Well, for me, it's like, I love, I love visual quick references. And um, when I make my spreadsheets, literally, I don't go past sums and multiplication and division and adding things up. But honestly, when you look at them, the colors, you can sense patterns and trends, and you can uh, immediately see things that you need to act on based on that. And that's, that's, they, they, they feel very complex, but really it's just like, yeah, they're more for a visual reference than anything. So. I love that conditional formatting stuff. Right. Tom, Tom <laughs> is the right king now. of spreadsheets as well. Yeah. I mean, you need, there's no, there's probably no tool that exists that is going to satisfy you or me <laughs> when it comes yeah, to, right. you know, to, to manipulating and managing the data that you have. Collecting it needs to be streamlined and simple, but you're always going to want to get access to it and be able to do your own analysis of it for sure. Agreed. Simplicity is for power. Mm -hmm. You know, um, knowledge, information is for accuracy and direction. So when you have the right stuff simplified, organized in the right way for quick access and quick actionability, (laughs) action probably, um, that's power. That is powerful movement. That's quick movement, efficient movement. So both of those are super important. Um, Nick, I was going to ask you one last question about kind of your stuff. And that is, do you feel like as people are kind of watching how you're putting it together and how you're making business work with what you've created, is that, is it pretty translatable? Um, you know, the, cause you did, you, you did this whole thing organically grassroots. I want to figure it out. I want to learn it. I want to grow it. Um, do you feel like that translates to not just people having to re write all that stuff and reinvent the wheel, but they can kind of learn from your process and like, okay, that makes a whole lot of sense because he sees it from the inside. 
Yeah. So I, I actually did. Um, I took a very circular long way around growing the business. I wanted to do a whole bunch of experiments and kind of bookend everything, which is what's the most, what's the least, what, what's the mar- uh, parameters we're dealing with? What's the macro, what's the game board look like? So I actually took way much more time and way more money to grow my business, but it was sort of like, that's how it jived with my um, thinking and, and my personality where I really like to see the macro and then hone in on it from there. And, uh, those experiments were great. I, not only for myself, but my intention was to then share them with the industry, which I have. Mm-hmm. And somebody, somebody could do this way quicker, way better and more efficiently than me. I just wanted to test the boundaries of what was out there. And you just wanted to understand it to really understand. I think that's, I, my guess is that's why you've caught fire in the industry mm-hmm. is that, you get it. And people, when they talk, when you start talking about, it, they're like, no, this, no doubt this guy gets it. And that is, that's hard to get there, but you really have to become again, intimately familiar with, but it's also a long way from just doing it in your head there. We see comments, don't we, Kathy and Tom, we, we see comments from people sometimes on social media, <laughs> passing through, making a quick comment on estimate rocket and saying, I saw one comment said, what uh, it said, WTF. I just do it in my head. Now, <laughs> that's not what I'm hearing from you at all, Dick, because there no, so, are systems, there are tools, there are ways that you have, because it's too much to hold in your head, all this stuff. No. And listen, I have uh, 41 people that have every one of their compensation plans reviewed and dependent on that data. And if right. that's all in my head, now you have a subjective pay process and guess how your employees are going to think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> not right. real good. Yeah. <laughs> not really good. Interesting. I think, I think the other thing, Nick, is that you're willing to, uh, you have an understanding and are willing to realize that this isn't, this is a forever thing. You're not done. You're not done learning about what you're doing and how you're doing it. You're always learning something new and that's, Mm -hmm. you know, and things are always changing. So it's an, it's an, it's an, you have to get into, it has to become part of your process. You know, the most successful people are in a, in a uh, process of continual change. Some more than others, but you have to be relearning things and learning what's new and and how to adapt things all the time or, or, or it gets old. Yeah. And and just like you guys, it's, it's one of those things where I spent a lot of years trying to figure out what do you track and how do you track it? And now Mm. that we have our arms around that, it's a 90% solid process. Now, now the fun starts. Now we have predictable, reliable numbers Mm -hmm. where when we actually do make a change, we can see the direct effect instead of making a change and saying, well, does it make an effect or is our reporting system wrong, that it's not allowing it to make the effect or is it not an effect at all? So now the fun begins after we've refined that. <laughs> right. right. The analysis of our data and feelings. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I love it. We all here at Estimate Rocket, we really admire you, Nick, because not only are you creating a wonderful environment for your internal team, you also have such great passion um, to educate the entire contracting community. And that doesn't go unnoticed. A lot of people truly appreciate the time and the effort that you spend sharing this information, sharing your pearls of wisdom and how you have achieved such great success over the last 15 years. Mm, Thank you for that. We're excited about the Ask a Painter coming up. We'll um, engage on some of these topics, but you're going to be in the lead there and you'll kind of uh, steer the questions in in some of the conversation. So we're, we're excited to be a part of it. We love the interactive part of 
you know, how you're drawing in this huge audience of people mm-hmm. who are just excited about doing business better, you know, and, and finding all the new um, ideas that are out there, but making sure that you're really getting traction and seeing results like what you talk about, because you keep it sensible and realistic. I think people like that. It's, it's almost like a perfect blend of idealism and, and realism. Uh, because you want to keep growing, you want to innovate, you want to keep, you want to do all the cutting edge stuff, try new technology, all this stuff, but you need results. End of the day, you're making money in a business. If you're not making money, something's going wrong. So you got to make an interesting blend of all that. We're excited to be on there. Thank you so much, Nick, for being on Estimate Rocket Radio. We're excited to interact more with you. No, thanks for the opportunity again, guys. Thank, Thank you, Nick. Tom. Great talking to you guys. This is Estimate Rocket Radio. Join our team at EstimateRocket.com. Give the people what they want.